0: Welcome to the Gregory Digout podcast. I want you to turn in your Bible today to John, Chapter 14, and I want to read to you from verse six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. It's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about knowing God as father. Today, I want to talk to you about the kiss of God. And I want to show you how God wants to fill the gaps of your soul. We all have gaps in our soul. We have we have holes in our souls and God wants to fill the holes. He wants to fill the gaps. Uh, The the gaps are where bad decisions are made. The gaps are where um, the enemy gets in and builds strongholds in our lives. The gaps The holes in our lives are where we begin to substitute God's presence for for artificial stimulants to uh, to satisfy us, to to fill us up. And and God wants to fill the crevices, the gaps in our lives. The Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say be half filled. He doesn't say Uh, be quarter filled. The Holy Spirit is not like uh, going to the gas station, you know, when you you run out, you're running out of gas. And what do you do? You know, a lot of times we don't get a full tank. A lot of times we just get enough to get where we're going. A lot of times, because if you fill your tank, it might be 50, 60, 70 dollars if you're on empty. Right. So you put ten dollars in there. You got a few gallons uh, and you and and you go on and you kind of quarter filled or half filled. But that's not how God does things. He he fills you to overflow. He says be filled with the Holy Spirit because he knows that the Holy Spirit needs to get in those holes and in those gaps. I call those gaps insecurity. Insecurity is the is the feeling that comes from there being a gap in our soul. So Jesus and we're going to fill these gaps today. But Jesus says, I'm the way the truth and the life. The way what? I'm the way to the father, he says, no one comes to the father. But through me, see, Jesus doesn't just die for our sins. He he dies for our sins, but there's a purpose behind it. The purpose that he dies for our sins, the reason why he dies for our sins is because sin separates us from God. So Jesus dies for our dies for our sins, not just to save us from hell. Hell is simply the result of being separated from God. Hell is the how can I put this? Hell is the full manifestation of the absence of God. And heaven is the full manifestation of the presence of God. So when we are uh, so so when when sin comes into the world, Adam and Eve were separated from God when they sinned and they burst humanity into this place of separation. We were born separated from God. And when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we are reunited and it feels so good. Reunited. (laughs) Some of you don't know that because you're too young. But um, but what happens is, is the reason Jesus comes. See, this is where we're living unfulfilled Christian lives, many people, is that they they think the goal is to be saved. It's no the goal is to come to the father. The goal is to have fellowship with the father. Jesus made a way to get to the father. We've all seen the little diagrams, the little drawings. God's up here and we're down here. And so the cross comes and connects us to God. Jesus becomes the the cross is the bridge to the father. And it really is. It's not just, oh, good. I'm not going to go to hell now. No, it's oh, yes, I'm not going to go to hell. But more importantly, and even better than that, is I get to be connected to to God and he's my father now. And we're going to spend eternity. You see, Jesus the greatest clarity of of Jesus identity was that he knew he was the son of God. So the devil comes against and came against that more than anything else. If you are the son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. The challenge that the devil brought was to try to rob Jesus of his sense of identity as a son, as the son of God. But um, I want you to see something about Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. He's the way to the father. He's the truth about the father. And he is expressing the life of the father and the life that the father wants you to have. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father. But through me, verse seven, look at what he goes on to say, he says, "Um, now, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. In other words, we're the same. When you see me, you've seen the father from now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus was saying, I am the direct image and the mirror image and the exact replication and the exact um, personification of what the father is like. And so this is where all of the world is is struggling. This is where the breakdown is, folks, is that Jesus came to dismantle and utterly obliterate every wrong concept and misconception and distorted view that you ever had of God. If you ever thought God was judging you, Jesus came to destroy that misconception. If you ever thought God was far from you, Jesus came to destroy that misconception. If you ever thought God was mad at you, Jesus came to destroy that and obliterate that distorted view. If you ever thought, well, God sent this sickness into my life to teach me a lesson. These are false beliefs about God that man made up because they didn't understand the simplicity of the gospel, because all you have to do is follow Jesus life in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And you get the clearest image and picture of what the father is like. Jesus comes in contact with the sick. He heals them, comes in contact with the hungry. He feeds them, comes in contact with the blind. He opens their eyes, comes in contact with the deaf. He opens their ears, comes in contact with the with the condemned. He forgives them, comes in contact with the lonely. He comforts them, comes in contact with the confused. He gives them clarity and peace, comes in contact with anything he comes in contact with the dead. He raises them up. Now, never do we see Jesus taking a living man and killing him. Well, God took my baby. No, where is that in the Bible? See, if you see Jesus taking somebody's baby, then, yes, you can you can say God did that. But because Jesus is he he completely removes all the mystery about what God is like, he removes all the distorted views, all the misconceptions and all of the crazy theology made up by people that doesn't come from the image that Jesus Jesus is the exact image of the father while he's in this earth so that you would have no debate about it. If you're if you're ignorant, he's your teacher. If you're lost, he's your evangelist shepherd. If you're uh, if you're sick, he's your healer. If you're broken, he's your restorer. If uh, if you're wandering, he's your pastor. If uh, if you're if you need to find out your calling, he's your apostle to send you into your purpose and send you into your mission. If you need a word, he's your prophet to give you the word in due season. He is everything that you have ever needed in him to be. He is all of that and more. He is more than you'll ever need. He's abundant. He's rich. He's full. He's all of love and love is him and he is love. God is love. He is uh, he. he, The Bible says he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He started it and he's going to finish it. You didn't start it. He started it and therefore he's going to finish it. And so Jesus came to destroy, obliterate, and and pulverize the lies of hell that gave you a view of God that he was angry, mad, upset, frustrated, sick and tired of you. Have you ever? I mean, parents can sometimes get sick and tired of their kids, but it's not easy to get sick and tired of your kids. I mean, they have to really push your buttons and some of them are really good pushers. (laughs) Come on now. But God never gets tired of you. God is never loses patience with you. Have you ever lost patience with your child? God never loses patience with you. You take the best of the best qualities in a father and a mother. And you put that you take the best of the best, the love, the patience, the instruction, the kindness, the warmth, you take the best of the best qualities of a parent and you put that on steroids, times a million times a million times a million. And now you're catching a little bit of a glimpse of what God is like all the time towards you. Now, that's hard. The only person that's hard to hear, that's the only person that's that that's hard for them to hear is the self righteous, because we want self righteousness makes you want to earn God's love and goodness and affection. But God doesn't do us good because we're good. God does us good because he's good. It didn't take much for God to do good for Jesus to do good to people. All they had to do was come see him, come ask him, come touch him. Come bow before him and he blessed them and he healed them and he fed them and he comforted them and he delivered them and he rescued them and he gave them meaning and he gave them significance and the lepers came and he cleansed them the adulteress came and he forgave her the woman at the well came having been married five times and Jesus didn't say oh you again you going for your sixth now huh. yeah, well we know what the common denominator is in your failed marriages you <laughs> Jesus didn't say that She said he said, go get your husband. And she said, "Uh, I don't have a husband. He said, I know you've had five and the one you're living with right now, he's not even your husband. But go get him anyway, because I want him to drink from this. Well, I want you. You I want you to drink. I want him to drink. I want you to go. And she went and told her whole city she became the first evangelist, a woman who had been married five times and was like so tired of at least she learned I'm not marrying the sixth guy. I'm just live with him, but I'm not marrying him, man. Look at how that ended up every time. Jesus. Jesus is so good. He's not good to us because we're good. He's good to us because he's good. Nobody was ever good enough. Nobody was ever good enough for God to do good to them. He did good to them because he's good. He does good to you. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life simply because the Lord is your shepherd, not because of anything you do. It's because of who he is. The Lord is your shepherd. It's because of who he is. that goodness and mercy will follow you. It's because of who he is that you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil for God is with you. It's because of who he is. This is why Jesus came. So. uh, So. So when he comes and he says, this is who God is, they couldn't understand it. They couldn't believe it. So he kept He kept showing and kept proving and kept demonstrating that this is who I am. This is who the father is. Why? Because he wanted to tear down all the religious notions that God was mad, that God was against them. And there were people before that thought God was mad at them. If you look at Deuteronomy, chapter one, verse twenty seven, look at this Deuteronomy, chapter one, verse twenty seven. It says that um, the people, the the children of Israel grumbled in their tent and said this after God did many miracles for them. They still said the Lord hates us. The Lord hates us because he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Never, never base, never base your your belief about God. Never base your belief about God. On your current circumstances. Never base your belief about God on your current circumstances, because they They were currently in the circumstance that they were struggling in Egypt. They were wandering in the wilderness and 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 because things weren't going good for them, they allowed that to dictate what they believed about God. He hates us. He doesn't hate them, but they believed he did. And that's why they grumbled. And that's why they fell in the wilderness. And that's why many of them died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb and the people that went with them because they believed God was good and they believed God would get them through and they believed that God loved them. But when you buy into a distorted belief about God, you set yourself up for failure and God wants you to succeed, not fail. And that's what every father wants for his children. You 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 got to agree with me on that one, that there is not one father among us. There's not one father that we're going to run into this week, this month, this year that doesn't want his children's lives to succeed. Every father they might not know. They might not know what it takes to succeed. They may not be successful themselves, but there is not one father in this world. For the most part, there are exceptions, demonically possessed people. I get it. But for the most part, every father wants their children to succeed. Of course, every mother does, too. But every father wants their children to succeed. Now, realize this, if you with all your distortion and all your hang ups and all your flaws and all me and all my flaws and I want my children to succeed, how much more do you think God, who has no flaws, wants you to succeed because he's your father? He's your daddy. He's not some God out there distant from you He is your heavenly Father. There's nothing earthly about him. There's nothing worldly about him. There's nothing limited about him. There's nothing small about him. There's nothing stingy about him. There's nothing selfish about him. There's nothing unloving about him. There's nothing condemning about him. Oh, but God is just and God is holy. Yes. And he took all of his justice and all of his holiness and all of the wrath and all of what is fair and he unleashed all all of the treatment of what we deserve for our sin. He unleashed it all on Jesus on the cross. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because while Jesus is on the cross, the father had to turn away. He had to turn away from Jesus so he could never have to turn away from you. This is what Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. He didn't come to tell you right from wrong. I'm not saying that he doesn't tell us right from wrong, and I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to choose right over wrong. But that's not why he came. He came to connect us to the father because when you're connected to the father, you know what to do. When you are connected to the father, you know who to ask when you are connected to the father, you know what to do. Boy, father knows best used to be a TV show back in the day. My grandparents told me about it once long time ago. Father knows best. Now. Now our world is so anti father, like as if fathers are always bumbling, stumbling, Archie bunkers and and Homer Simpsons and and uh, just they're all just perceived as just stupid little idiots, you know, grown up boys that have just never grown up to be men. And what why is that? Because Satan knows that if he can distort your view of of the father and if he can get men to be less than what God created them to be, then he will destroy a generation, you know, in, in throughout history. And I know I'm, I'm cutting into my own time here, so I'm, I'm not going to do my best not to cut into yours, but I'm cutting into my own time. But I want to say this, that throughout history, Satan's plan has always been to destroy the next generation. So when when Moses was a child and, and they found out that Moses was going to be the deliverer, when Pharaoh found out uh, that Moses was going to be the deliverer, he sent a decree to kill all the children. Isn't it ironic to kill all the male boys that are two years and younger? Isn't it ironic that he that the, the very Pharaoh that sent the decree to kill all the boys ends up becoming the father to Moses. And Moses grows up in the household of Egypt and grows up in royalty and then ends up becoming the deliverer because God will always make sure that what the enemy sent for evil, God bent for good, whatever did, whatever, uh, whatever (laughs) demonic plot that the that the devil has against you, God's going to turn it around. So he kills all Satan has all these babies killed, all these boys killed just because they're trying to he's trying to kill the deliverer and he misses and he's and he missed you, by the way. He tried to kill you and he missed, tried to kill me and he missed every time. Man, I, I believe <laughs> I believe God's so good. I could be standing out in the middle of a of a of a highway and a boulder could come, you know, from out in the sky and it might come near me, but it will fall by me and it will not hurt me. And every time something like that happens, I'm not 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 that I've had a lot of boulders fall near me, but whenever something weird happens like that, I just look up and I go, ha ha ha. Devil, you missed again. And you know that some of you who've been in terrible tragedies and terrible accidents, that was Satan's best shot at you. And he failed and he'll never have a better shot again. And some of you have just You've escaped the storm through the eye of a needle. It's because I'm telling you it's because Satan was trying to to rid rid this world of you and trying to destroy your view of God and so Satan destroys a whole generation through killing these babies through the decree of Pharaoh and then Jesus is born and Herod finds out and he doesn't know which baby is Jesus. So he has all the babies killed again and two years and younger. I think all the male boys and obviously that's what caused Joseph and Mary to take the donkey ride through, you know, Bethlehem and Jerusalem and all the things, all the places that they went to and God protected them. But yet all these babies were killed. Why? Because Satan hates your destiny. Satan hates generations and he's trying to kill generations. So Satan learns Well, you know what? I can't get uh, all the all the kids killed. So here's what I'll do. I'll I'll get the fathers to abandon their children. So I damage them from within. So even if I can't kill the children, I'll damage the soul of the children through abuse, through through abandonment, through insecurities, which is really what I wanted to get to this morning. But I I think just drawing this picture for you, it makes sense. You get you you, you get a hold of what I'm talking about. And and all all Satan is trying to do is this is why, you know, 90 percent of the people in prison are kids without fathers, 90 percent of rapists, kids without fathers, 90 percent of the people that commit suicide, kids without fathers, prostitutes, kids without fathers. They 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 all had a biological dad. They all had a biological uh, donor. Uh, But. um, But they didn't all have fathers. And even if you grew up in the same home, maybe your father neglected, abused, hurt. And so this is Satan's plan now. He, He can't get rid of everybody because there's laws and there's he certainly tries his best to get rid of as many as he can. But but what he tries to do is damage everybody and damage your soul through your upbringing. And he sets traps along the way in your life. There is a real plan that Satan has. There is there are real weapons that Satan uses. But here's the good news. No weapon formed against you will prosper. No weapon. So. So how does Satan do it? Um, He creates gaps in our lives that we call I call insecurity. What is insecurity. Um, If I can just give you some technical terms for a moment here to, to get you to understand this is that insecurity is simply means to be without a cure, insecure, without a cure. It means to be without a root, without a root. You have no firm root. The Bible talks about when you have no firm root, then Satan is able to, you know, to choke out the word of God in your life. And um, and and therefore you don't become fruitful. And it means to be without a root, without a cure and without sufficient grounds for confidence. This is what it means to be insecure. And so we're living in an insecure generation, a generation of people that don't have confidence. So they seek it in ways that are inappropriate and and compensatory. They they try to compensate for a person who feels inferior, tries to compensate by making themselves look superior to others. This is why there's racism, bigotry in the world today, because insecure people try to dominate others so they can feel better about themselves. And um, and this is all of the problems that exist in the world today are rooted in this insecurity that causes people to have a gap in their lives. What gap? It is the gap between what God says you are and what you actually feel like you are. That gap is called insecurity, the gap between who God says you are and who you think, who you feel like you are, the gap between who we want to be and who we end up being that causes insecurity. The gap between uh, what, what we've dreamed and the reality that we actually live in that creates insecurity. The gap between um, what God says we have and what we're actually experiencing in our lives, that those gaps create this insecurity. And the only thing that can fill those insecure holes is the love of the father. It's the love of God knowing that he, he accepts you. Uh, insecurity comes. These gaps come from feeling rejected. When you're growing up, you feel rejected and it creates this gap. And God wants to heal that today. How does he heal rejection through acceptance? He accepts you in his beloved family. Everybody else might have rejected you. You might have been the last person picked in sports. You might have been the last person anybody wanted to marry. you might have been the first person they wanted to bury and the last person they wanted to marry. But I'm just telling you right now, God accepts you. Your heavenly father is crazy about you. He loves you. What solves the, the, the insecurity problem that comes from rejection is radical acceptance. That God radically accepts you. He accepts you unconditionally. He doesn't say, clean it up, kid, and then I'll accept you. No, He accepts you while you're dirty. And then gives you the grace to go through the process of transformation. And the second place that insecurity comes from is it comes from. Um, feeling overshadowed by others. Maybe you were a little brother or a little sister, or an older brother, or an older sister. And one of the other brothers or sisters got all the attention. So you feel overshadowed. And that causes this insecurity and you become preoccupied with people that, that seem like they're smarter than you, wealthier than you, nicer looking than you, more successful than you. This creates doubt in your ability. It's why people shouldn't be on social media. Who, who whoever is insecure. That's the last place to go. You know, that's like uh, that's like that's like an alcoholic going to, a, you know, going to a liquor store and uh, working at a liquor store. Insecure people on Facebook is a wrong place to be um, because people do not show you the, their tears in the middle of the night. They don't take selfies of them with their mascara off. Mm, somebody's got to help me here today. People only take selfies of. (laughs) Look at my abs, look at my abs. (laughs) People don't take selfies of you, of, of themselves in the middle of the night when they're lonely and when they're hurting, but they show themselves with all these people and all. And then you're like, oh, man, what am I doing at home? They're probably at home, too. That's probably from a year ago. (laughs) <laughs> it's where insecurity comes from is this is this uh this sense of there's a gap between uh, you know what i what i'm going through and it seems like everybody else is having the time of their life and you know everybody else you see you know you, you see them and but you don't see the process and you don't see the pain you don't see what people really go through and And um, and that's the problem with our world today. It's a problem with media and social media. And so you got to just you got to be a little tougher than that. You got to realize Stop comparing yourself at your worst with other people at their best, because that creates this gap. And um, and you got to just believe in yourself and know that you have worth and that you have value Um, when you feel uh, when you feel overshadowed by others, you need to you need to understand your worth and your Uh, individuality and your uniqueness. Um, Some people uh, then then insecurity comes from a significant failure or a loss. There are many people that have been in business and they lost money. They made bad decisions and it creates insecurity because you think, man, this loss has just killed me. This been through a divorce. and You feel like, man, this just killed me. But you know what? There's always beauty that can come from ashes when God's in your life, when Jesus is Lord, when when the love of God is uh, is something that you accept and embrace as as free and unconditional and cannot be earned. You can't earn it. He loves you anyway. Um, So a significant failure or loss can crush your spirit. And that's where we have to fight that off with Romans eight one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Uh, Other people, they, they get insecure because they have a poor body image. I want to say something about that because you think, oh, what is this? uh, You know, what is this pastor psychology, you know, psychology class? Uh, No, but what I want to get across to you is that people have this is this is a fact that people that might have the most beautiful bodies. Still have a poor body image. You, you, You don't your 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 body doesn't give you your image of yourself your image of yourself allows you to accept your body and improve it if you want to, but improve it because first you approve it and then you improve it when you try to improve something that you don't first approve, then you're you're doing it out of insecurity and you're doing it with um, with a motive that will just cover up your insecurity rather than actually heal it. See, you got to be able to embrace yourself as you are. That doesn't mean you have to stay as you are, but you have to love yourself as you are. Say, well, I don't love my fat. I don't love my nose. I don't love my ears. They stick out this way. I don't love my hair or I don't love my lack of their lack of it thereof. But. But what I'm trying to tell you is you got to love the you inside of you. And then the you on the outside won't control your decisions the you on the inside controls your decisions when you have that sense of security being rooted and grounded in love, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter three, verse 17 says we are rooted in in Christ. We are rooted and grounded in love. So this gives you the root. This is what makes you secure is the love of God. Without the love of God, you'll be insecure the rest of your life. Here's another thing that causes people to be insecure is the is, is they have a disability. They have a learning disability. They have a physical disability. They have an emotional, mental disability. And because we're comparing to everybody else, you see, this is why some people say, well, shouldn't we just, you know, whenever whenever anybody's sick, just allow them to die, allow them to be killed, allow them to kill themselves. But see, and I'm not I'm not here to dispute that from a political standpoint. But what I'm here to tell you is the value of human life and and what every life matters. First of all, Every disability gives us an opportunity to trust God to heal. Every disability gives us the ability to have grace towards others. Every disability gives us the ability to find other strengths in our lives rather than the ones that just the average person identifies with a person that has that, that, that's perfect or that doesn't have any Uh, doesn't have any flaws or doesn't have any um, any disabilities. We all we all are disabled in some way. That's why his grace is sufficient for us. And and the reason why we take care of the of the elderly is because we learn unselfishness by taking care of the elderly. The reason we take care of children without parents is we learn the love of the father. We learn to father. We learn to love the unlovable. We learn to love the rejected. We learn to love the ones that didn't want that weren't wanted. And so you can go through and see all the disabilities that cause this sense of insecurity. And God wants you to know your disability should just point you to God. If you have a disability of any kind, it should it should point you to trusting God that he will compensate for that in some way in your life by elevating that disability and healing you or by using you in spite of it. And, and, And again, his perfect will is for everybody to have no disabilities. But he but he knows we're a work in progress. Come on. Somebody's got to help me here today. So and then the final thing. And then the final thing that creates insecurity is the damage that I that I started talking about, the damage in the soul from our upbringing. We're damaged from growing up in homes where our fathers and mothers didn't know how to love us, didn't know how to raise us. Let me give you a quick tip on parenting, Um, a little uh, a little equation on parenting. I like to say that um, affection plus correction equals direction. So if you want your children to go in the right direction, then you add to the equation tons of affection plus correction and not correcting their behaviors when they're little kids. Yes. But correcting their mindsets. And this is what the word of God is. The word of God corrects our mindsets. The word of God corrects our view of ourselves. The word of God, the Bible is designed by God to give us a proper view of him and a proper view of ourselves. And this is when we truly are being corrected properly. It's not like God correct that. And you swore and you cussed, and you sinned and you had a cigarette and you, you know, had a drink and you, uh, you know, you smoked a joint or whatever you call it now. And what I call it is good times. No, just kidding. Um, But uh, but we think that's God correcting us. That's not what that's not correction. Correction is an adjustment in your thinking. And that's what God brings. So affection plus correction equals direction. So a kid will always go in the right direction when he is smothered with affection, with correction. If you just give correction, you're going to have a kid that is just always, you know, on edge. If you just give affection, you're going to have a kid that just is spoiled and rotten because they don't ever think that they need to be corrected. They don't ever think they do anything wrong and, um, and they don't think they need to make an adjustment uh, and, and, and realize that the earth doesn't revolve around them. Come on. Help me now, parents. And so, um, and so, you give them tons of affection. You give them the right amounts of correction, and you will always point them. It will that those two things will always get them going in the right direction. Okay. So the so so because we didn't have that growing up, God becomes that to us. God reparents us. You know, um, if I could just quickly just show you in Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal son leaves the father. Uh, which I think is in verse 12 or 13. As soon as he leaves the father, but within two verses, he's wasted everything. In other words, only in his connection with his father is he thriving. But when he's disconnected from his father, if you put that verse up, it says and then he left his father and within days he squandered everything he had. Look at what it says after many not not many days later, the kid leaves goes on a journey in a distant country and there he squanders his estate with loose living. You always make bad decisions when you disconnect from your father. You always make good ones when you stay with him. God is father. When you fellowship with your father, you'll make good decisions when you live a life disconnected from your father, when you live a life broken because of how you grew up and you see God as a distant God out there, then you'll you'll make bad decisions. But when you realize, no, he's always coming after you, even when the son is lost The father's looking for him every day, every day. The father's looking for him every day. Finally sees him out of the corner of his eye. And verse 20, he sees his son coming back to his senses and the father gets up. He goes, comes to his father. But while he's still a long way off and this ought to encourage somebody, no matter how far off you are from God's will. God sees you from a long way off. He feels compassion for you from a long way off. He runs to you from a long way off. He embraces you and kisses you. And when he says he kissed him. That word in the Greek language, it is a action word. It is a present participle, which or uh, for lack of English verbiage, it's a word that means a continual action. So he kept on kissing him. He kept I want, you know, you want you want to know what God is like. He's a kisser. And he keeps on kissing kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing, because what a kiss says is I accept you. What a kiss says is I forgive you. What a kiss says. Now, this is the kisses of the father Remember the context here. The son has wasted the father's estate. So when he kisses him, it says, I accept you, even though you're dirty. I accept you as you are. He didn't say, go clean up so I can kiss you. He kissed him while he was filthy. He had just come out of a pig's trough. He kissed him to say, I accept you. He kissed him to say, I forgive you. Then he kissed him again to say, I restore you, because the next thing he does is he says, and the father, this is the son tries to you know uh, give his speech, right? His son tries to give his speech. Uh, your father, I've sinned in you know heaven and years. I just make me like want to stop. The father says in verse twenty two, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Verse twenty two, and and bring 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 a ring And put it on his fingers. This is this is privileges restored. Okay, it's righteousness restored with the robe. Bring the best robe. Isn't it great? He didn't say you know. Go get something. You know this kid is filthy. Just get a cloth. Get a dirty rag from the laundry room. Get something from the garbage. Get a little paper towel. Bounty. It'll pick it up. Um, (laughs) He's like, bring the best robe. It's the best. The Father gives you the best. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. That ring represents royalty. That ring represents authority. So his authority is restored. Put sandals on his feet, his position is restored. Kill the fatted calf for him because we're going to celebrate his joy is restored. This is why he kissed him over and over again. God's kissing you today. No matter who you are, he's kissing you and he says. I accept you. Your insecurity dries up, he says, I forgive you. The gap. Disappears, he says, I restore you. And you feel thankful, he says, you're still royal in my book and he gives you back your authority. And he says, you don't have to be beat yourself up about this. You're not going to be a servant in the back of the house somewhere. You're my son. Let's celebrate. And he kills the fatted calf, which means meat is neat. Don't starve yourself from celebration. Don't try to. Pay. For your squandering and the years that you wasted and the mistakes that you made, the father says, no, don't give me your speech. Don't give me your religion. Don't try to make your promises. Don't try to tell me that, you know, you'll just be a servant. I'll just be a servant. God, Father, I I just want to, you know, uh, just make me like one of your servants. And I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. The father doesn't listen to his speech. He doesn't forgive him based on his speech. He doesn't even let him finish his speech. Listen, religion, religious demons, that are trying to lie to you. I'm going to tell those religious demons something, your little speech to God. I'm so sorry. Lord, forgive me. I was an idiot. I'm such a blankety blank. Lord, I just am so wrong. I just need to repent. I just need to have so much sorrow for what I did. No, the father wants to interrupt that nonsense baloney sandwich BS crap. And he wants you to realize your speech. Your speech does not give you his love or his acceptance. He interrupted the boy's speech and he said, I don't want to hear a thing about it. Let me tell you what to believe. Let me tell you about who I am. I'm the lover of your soul. I'm the restorer of your soul. I'm the healer of your soul. I'm the restorer of your privileges. I'm the kisser of your soul. I'm the kisser of your heart I'm the kisser of your spirit. I'm the kisser of your life. You're my son, you're my child. And all that time you were gone, I was planning this party all that time. I knew you were coming home. I knew you were coming home. And let me tell you something, child of God, God knew you were coming home and he's rejoicing and all the angels in heaven rejoice over you. Please know that he's not giving you a party the first day you get saved and then make you sit in the closet and punish you for your disobedience. No, the party continues every day of your life as a child of God. When you know God is your father, it is a celebration all the days of your life. You are loved. You are restored. You are accepted. You are forgiven. The privileges are yours. The royalty is yours. The authority is yours. The table, the fatted calf, the celebration, the joy of your father is now the joy of his sons and daughters. Come on, stand to your feet and let's thank God for the restoration and the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. My God, my God, I want you to pray right now. Lift your hands to heaven. Say, Lord Jesus, heal me of everything broken from how I grew up, every distorted view that I've had of God, every distorted view that I've had of Jesus. Heal me. Every abuse that I suffered, every dysfunction I grew up with. Lord, I receive your healing touch. Every year I wasted every bad decision, everything I've done to lose your fortune. I thank you. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I'm restored. My righteousness is safe. My authority is restored. My privileges, my rights as a son or daughter are intact and the joy of my father is my strength. From this day forward, God, I see you as father, Abba father, heal me where I'm broken and restore me to your purpose and your destiny as your son or daughter. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I hope you're encouraged by today's message. And listen, if you're in the Chicago area, I want to meet you. You can join me every Sunday at Life Changers Church in Hoffman Estates or in downtown Chicago. If you're looking for a church home or maybe just want to know more about God, I would love for you to be my guest this Sunday. You can find our service times and locations at LifeChangersChurch.com and you can even plan your visit there. Our team will host you and make you feel right at home. For anyone else listening around the country and around the world, you can always join me every Sunday online. Be a part of our online church community at LifeChangersChurch.com or on Facebook and YouTube. I hope to see you this Sunday. God bless.